This morning, we're going to uh, discover the way to Calvary. It may seem this morning that uh, our subject, it may seem a little bit strange that the way to Calvary includes a betrayal. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever betrayed someone? It's a deeply personal thing to feel betrayed or to betray someone else. But we learn that on Jesus' way to the cross, a necessary component of his journey was to be betrayed. The way to the cross for Jesus, the way to Calvary's cross, was memorable. His disciples also remembered the events leading up to the cross. It was memorable for them. So many various events and plot twists left his disciples completely perplexed, not knowing what God was doing. They, didn't, they weren't sure. How, how in the world was this going to bring about God's kingdom? Jesus going to the cross. It was confusing to many of them. And so it is with Christ followers today who take up their cross and follow him. The path, the journey can be very confusing. It can be very trying. The pilgrim's pathway is wrought with confusion, disappointment, disillusionment, fear, doubt, and worry. The closer we come to the cross, the more in touch we become with our own inabilities, our own brokenness, even our own treachery and weakness. It is the way of the cross that sifts through human hearts in order to reveal their true nature. In our text today in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus sifting through his disciples as he's on his way to the cross. Before this exchange between Jesus and Judas and the other disciples, in Matthew 3.12, we see that John the baptizer, some will call him John the Baptist, he wasn't a Baptist in the sense of the denomination Baptist, so many prefer to call him John the baptizer. John the baptizer describes Jesus as already having his winnowing fork in his hand. There are uh, legalists who are coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John in Matthew 3. And John says to them to be careful to not just simply get involved in religious things when it's popular, when everybody else is doing it. He says in Matthew 3, 10 through 12, he says, Now listen, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says in verse 12, His winnowing fork, talking about Jesus, is already in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The, the, the image is this, that a winnowing fork has, uh, it's like a pitchfork. Okay, it has, it has, you don't want to dig a hole or scoop dirt and transfer dirt with a pitchfork, do you? 
Right, we want to use a shovel because it's solid on the bottom. A winnowing fork is something that had spaces in between the blades so that you would, you would scoop up this mixture of wheat, which is the real grain, and all the other stuff, the husk, the shaft, all these other things, and you would throw it into the air, and the heavy stuff would do what? Fall to the ground. And the light stuff would do what? It would just, it would flow out. The wind would catch it, and it would, and you create two separate piles. And that's what John is saying about Jesus. He's saying the Messiah is already on the scene. And this is what he's doing. For everybody who interacts with Jesus, Jesus is sifting them. He is going to call them to something that in their flesh they don't want to do, that no one wants to do, and that is to follow him. There's a work that has to be done by the Holy Spirit of God. To come upon a human heart and a life and to change our minds. Remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Romans 12.1. Where Paul says, I urge you, church, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. That which is your, your uh, service of worship, your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus doesn't save people whose minds he doesn't restore and heal and change. That word repentance... It's used over and over in the New Testament. Includes the idea of metanoia, a change of mind. A change of mind, a change of heart. And so as Jesus is going to the cross, he begins to sift through his disciples. He calls them to a higher level. The closer he gets to the cross, the more he ministers, the the more sayings that he's going to say that are going to just scandalize some of his followers. He's going to say very hard things to people. And they're going to have to decide, is it worth continuing with him one more step on the journey? We have that same challenge today. So in Matthew chapter 26, we come to a place where Jesus is beginning to sift the minds of, and hearts of his closest friends. And one in particular named Judas will begin to stand out. So starting in Matthew 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 35, then another section which is 46 through 56, and then we're going to look at a section from 27, chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. So there's quite a bit of reading there. Open up your Bible to Matthew 26. Follow along in your copy of the scriptures with me. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, Not during the festival. Otherwise, a riot might occur among the people. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. 
For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. When one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest after that and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near, and I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now verse 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Now we come to verse 46 after many verses explaining that Jesus goes to a place and he gets away with his disciples. In verse 46, he says to them, Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, verse 47 says, Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large cloud with, crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. 
Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And then we skip down to verse 1 through 10 of chapter 27. The concluding part of Judas' life. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple sanctuary since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. I know there's a lot of scripture that we just covered. But it gives us a snapshot of the end of Judas' life. And a major turning point in the journey of Jesus to the cross. The first thing we want to notice this morning is the person that betrayed Jesus, our Lord. By whom was he betrayed? Now, the Bible says here that it was not, he was not betrayed by an enemy. He was not betrayed by someone you would think to be your enemy. Those plotting against you. No, he was betrayed by a close friend. He was betrayed by someone he called friend. He was betrayed by someone who followed him. By someone he called one of his disciples. Someone who was very close to him. In verse 14, Matthew tells us, Judas was one of the twelve one of the twelve. Think about how many people Jesus interacted with on a regular basis. The strangers that he met. Simply the, the, the thousands of people that he interacted with, that he fed. Remember when he fed thousands of people? All these people that had an opportunity to see him, to, uh, to interact with him. But there was this very small group of individuals that he called to himself, that he called disciples, who followed him everywhere he went. As a matter of fact, when he goes into the home, the homes of Mary and Martha and others who were close to him, and, and we find that he's being, uh, he's being anointed for burial. This is a very close and intimate setting. Who do you invite into your home? 
You don't invite strangers into your home on a regular basis at least. You might be very hospitable, but the people that you invite into your home at your table to recline with you uh, when, you, when you're observing the Passover, uh, one commentator challenges us and, and says, you know, when we think of the Lord's Supper, you might have uh, a picture uh, hanging in your home or, uh, or, or maybe you've seen it in, in church buildings. The painting by, I think it's Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper and everybody's sitting at a table and, you know, it looks very European, it looks very modern or medieval. The commentator says that's not the way they would have observed the Last Supper. They would have sat at a U-shaped table and they would have been laying down with their feet out away from the table and, and their, their torso close to the table and they would have been lying very close next to each other. You could smell the breath on the person next to you. That's how close of a friend Judas was to Jesus and the other disciples. This is who betrayed Jesus. One of the twelve. When we get to verse 18, Matthew tells us that Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples to prepare the Passover, to go into the city. He says, go into the city. Now this is after Jesus already knows that Judas is going to betray him. He tells his disciples to go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with who? My disciples. These are my disciples. These are the ones who follow me. These are the ones who I labor in prayer for and that I shepherd and that I teach. One of my disciples, Jesus says, he still considers Judas who he knew was going to betray him, whose heart he was very well acquainted with, he still calls him one of my disciples. See, in John 1, that verse I talked about earlier during our music time, our time of worship and music, he came to his own. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. Not just his own people, the Jews, but Jesus rubbed shoulders and he loved on people close to him, knowing, knowing that they were going to betray him, that they were going to sell him out. In verse 23, as you follow along, when he tells them, they're reclining at the table, they were eating together, he says, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say, surely not me, surely not I, I could never do that. They all began to say this. And Jesus says in verse 23 something so profound. If we're not careful, we miss it. He answered and says, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Now, we need to realize something. Every single one of the disciples shared this bowl with Jesus. Every one of them. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's making a blanket statement about humanity, about his disciples, about everyone. Even those who say they love him the most, on his journey to the cross, it is just going to be the Son and the Father. 
It's going to be Jesus and his Father. And every single one of us, in some way, as sinners, have betrayed and sinned against Christ on his way to the cross. Now, we know that Judas does it in a very specific way. But he says to his disciples, to all those who say, No, I could never, I could never sin against you. He says, He who dips his hand with me in the bowl is going to betray me. He is the one. So they're all thinking, is it me? Is it me? But Judas, Judas knows he's talking about him. Because he really did sell him out for real money. How many of you like Mexican food? I love Mexican food. When we lived in Texas, there's a, there's a thing that Texans do. It's just really weird. We judge Mexican food restaurants by their chips and salsa. Number one, if you don't have bottomless chips and salsa, don't even bother me. It's got to be bottomless. And we judge the restaurant by the salsa. Now, there are certain people that it really freaks them out if someone across the table or at their table double dips in the salsa. Have any of you like that? You're like, I don't like double dippers. Okay, but you know what? I'm kind of the same way. It doesn't bother me too much, but there's a group of people that are so close to me that I don't care if they double dip same chip three or four times. It's my family, right? I mean, how many times did you pick up a pacifier off the ground and clean it and then give it back to your kid, right? I mean, you, you just share that DNA, this is, an intimate, this is an intimate group, all at the table, sharing in a symbol that Jesus was going to recast as a memorial supper for him. Think about the way his disciples would think about this supper every time after this. As they all dip in the same bread, in the same cup, they're going to remember his words. They're going to remember their loyalty to one another. Their love for one another. Do we have that type of love for one another as a church body? Do you have that type of love and devotion for one another as fellow believers? As friends? Friends to one another and friends of Christ? When we come together to take the Lord's Supper is an, is an intimate thing. A moment of remembrance. But it's also for some a moment of judgment. In the same scene we see the disciples who are going to be enriched for further suppers. But we see, G, uh, we see Judas who's betraying Jesus and this is going to be his last Supper. Because he is drinking and eating judgment upon himself. Jesus invites him in verse 26. Everyone there, do this, partake of this. In chapter 26 verse 50. Jesus is going to say when they come to arrest him. Judas has decided he's going to betray his Lord with a kiss, 
And when he does this, he says to him, Hail, Rabbi, teacher. That was to single him out so that the soldiers knew who they were coming after, who they were going to arrest. Listen to Jesus' response to him in verse 50. Jesus says to him, Friend, friend, do what you have come for. Now this word friend in the, in the original languages is not the way we would think of friend today. It's not a term of endearment. He's not saying, oh, Judas, such a friend. No, their, their friendship their, was seemingly obvious to everyone at this scene because Judas was someone who, wherever Jesus went, Judas went. Judas was the treasurer among the disciples. He kept the, he kept the money bags. As a matter of fact, we discover from John's gospel that the disciple... Specifically, the one who threw a fit that Jesus was allowing this woman to waste all of her perfume, getting, anointing Jesus and getting ready, him ready for his death and burial and resurrection, that it was actually Judas. He was the one who threw a fit. John tells us that in his gospel. That it was actually Judas. So here we come to this scene and Jesus says, friend, do what you've come to do. The way we should understand this friend is Jesus is basically what he's doing is he's demoting Judas. Because in the original language, this word friend means acquaintance. Somebody you know of, not somebody you know. Jesus says about his sheep, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. He was saying about Judas and to Judas, Judas, you have proven yourself today to be a mere acquaintance of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lamb of God. Jesus is betrayed by a friend. He's betrayed by someone close but someone who turns out to just be someone who's rubbed shoulders with other people who do belong to Jesus. Don't be that person. Know Him. Know Him. Get to know Him personally, intimately. Don't just rub shoulders with other Christians. Don't just try to be an acquaintance of Jesus and have a little bit of Jesus in your life and sprinkle your life with Jesus and have compartments in your life that you give Him access to. Don't just be an acquaintance. This being an acquaintance of Jesus is not enough. He has to know you and you have to know him. He was betrayed by a friend. It's not enough for us to be friendly toward God or friendly toward Jesus. As if we can entertain sin and be friendly toward Jesus. Even friends can betray. The second thing we notice is how he was betrayed. He was betrayed, the Bible tells us in verse 47 through 56, with a kiss. With a kiss. This gives the appearance of fellowship. When the real motive for Judas was not friendship with Jesus, but it was self. Self. 
As we go back to verse 14, notice Matthew immediately places Judas' deal that he makes with the high priest. He immediately, he places it immediately after Judas throws a fit about Jesus being anointed and the wastefulness of this perfume. We see that in the story, verses 1 through 13. Why this waste? Verse 8. This is such a wasteful thing. Why would you allow this? It might have been sold, verse 9, they say, or John would say that Judas says, this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Now something that Jesus says in verse 13 is so striking. You have to see this. He says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. This is before Judas ever sells Jesus out. But who do you think is more well known among people who live in Christian areas of the world? Who do you think is more known from this story? This woman or Judas? So many people know who Judas is, don't they? He's the one who sold Jesus out. I've heard stories, I don't know if this is true. I've heard stories, and this is just so sad and pathetic and evil, by the way, if it is true. I've heard people tell me that they've gone into, they've gone into churches where in, in places in the church you'll have pictures, photographs, not real photographs, obviously, artistic paintings of the apostles. And, and, and maybe, you know, a picture of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, right? And sometimes, depending on what church you go into, I've heard people say that they've gone into all Anglo churches or white churches and they see pictures, of, they have seen this, pictures of the apostles and Judas is there and he's dark-skinned. I've also heard people say the adverse, that they've gone into African-American churches and seen the same thing, but it's flipped. All the apostles are African American and Judas is white. <laughs> All of that is racist, by the way, and evil. But what does it say about the overarching narrative of who Judas is? History, voices throughout history, right, wrong, or in between, have a negative view of this man. And he, Jesus says to Judas, from now on, this woman will be remembered. But what Judas doesn't know is more than this woman being remembered, Judas will be remembered for selling out the Savior for his self, for his selfishness, for his pride, for his arrogance, for silver. In verse 14, immediately after Jesus talks about what this woman has done, then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Now listen to what he asked in verse 15. He said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? That tells us a lot about Judas. What was his tipping point? On Judas' road to the cross with Jesus, he said, no, I'm done. I'm finished. I can't go any further. The other day, I 
watched a video because I watch YouTube every now and then and I watch these weird videos. Anybody else do that? You, you watch it and you're like, why am I watching this? But there was a, uh, a pepper, a hot chili pepper eating contest in, in England. And I was fascinated. I thought, I didn't know the English ate anything spicy. I've had English food. It's not really great, you know. But I watched and I was mesmerized for like 11 minutes as these people, about 12 of them, eating peppers. And each pepper was hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And as they're going along, I'm looking at all of them. I'm going, okay, who's going to make it? Who's going to make it? Who's going to make it? And, and they all have little cups of milk, glasses of milk in front of them. And there's this one guy on the far left. And every time he takes it, what they have to do is they have to eat the pepper and then hold up the stem. And, and if they eat the whole pepper and hold the stem and the stem is clean, they get to move on to the next round. And there's one guy on the far left. And I mean, he doesn't bat an eye. Every pepper, he just takes the pepper, the whole thing. Chews it up. And there are other people and they're taking bites out of it. And I'm going, oh, that's got to hurt. And, and they're just taking little bites, but they finally, they finally get it. I'm thinking, this guy's going to win. I had him picked out the whole time. I was like, this guy's going to make it because nothing phases him. One bite, stem up, move on to the next one. And then he got to like the third to the last pepper. And it was him and another man and another woman. And the, the other man, he had been doing it wrong the whole time, I thought. He was taking little bites, little bites, and he was sweating, and he was looking like he was going to throw up. He kept pulling his trash bag up to his face. And They got to the third to the last pepper, and the guy who showed no signs of stopping, all of a sudden, the expression on his face changes. He looks like he's about to pass out, and he grabs the jar of milk, and he says, I'm done. What a surprise. I thought, no way. No way. The woman ended up winning. And she was one of those taking a little bite, little bite, little bite at a time. And she won. Judas, on the way to the cross, comes against something. Comes face to face with self. And he says, I cannot go another step further with the Lord this is too far I am not going to get out of this what I thought I was going to get out of it he can go and he's going without me I'm not going to the cross everyone everyone who decides to not follow Jesus has a tipping point this was Judas tipping point. What will you give me? Folks, there is nothing, nothing in this world worth trading your salvation. The fellowship of the sufferings of the cross with Jesus to go with him every step of the way, there is nothing that this world can offer that can compare to knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Every step along the way is painful and painful and you don't know exactly what is around the next corner what is God going to do my life doesn't look like someone else's life or this person's life you are going to face opportunity after opportunity to throw in the towel but don't don't do it Jesus is so much worth it don't betray him don't only go so far with him but go all the way. 
Jesus was betrayed with a kiss from one of his closest friends who didn't just leave Jesus and say, I'm out. But he leveraged Jesus for his own personal gain. So many people who dabble in spiritual things will watch and listen to Bible studies and preaching and teaching and get involved in Christian circles. Many times what people, what attracts people sometimes to Christianity or to a church or something like that is the thought that this group of people or this preacher or this teacher or this teaching, this doctrine is going to help my life, is going to add to my life, is going to enrich my life, what I've already got going for me. Folks, that's not what God has in mind for you. For you to get involved of the things in, of Jesus so that he can enrich your life, so that he can help you find your purpose. Jesus is our purpose. He is all that we have. He's everything. Paul says, though all these things were gained to me in my religious life, I've counted all of this as loss in view of what? In view of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not having him in the side cart with me. But knowing him. Knowing him that he would not call me an acquaintance. But that he would call me son or daughter or child. Real friend. Do you know him? And then finally we learn why he was betrayed. Can we really discover why Jesus was betrayed? Well, it's really twofold. Number one, we learn that it's because it was God's will. Say, so, well, how does, how does that work? How can Jesus' death, how can his brutal suffering, how can going to the cross be God's will? How can it be the Father's will for him? How could it be God's will that he would be betrayed? in this way what a shameful thing how could it be God's will that he would betray, be betrayed by one of his closest friends well we learn that this is the case in chapter 26 we look at verse 24 listen to what Jesus says the son of man is to go just what as it is written of him so he says there, there's two things going on here. Number one, Jesus is to go to the cross. This is what the Father has determined. This is what the Father has planned, that Jesus is to go. He says the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. That is the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. This will happen. But then he says, this is the other sharp side of the sword. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Now listen, folks. Jesus never says this about anyone else who's ever walked the face of the planet. Only to Judas does he say it would have been better for this man not to have been born. I think for several reasons. Number one, his name is going to live in infamy. 
for, for years after this. Number two, he's going to have to live. Even though it's the Father's will, he's going to have to live with knowing that he sold the Savior, the only innocent person who's ever walked the face of the planet. Judas has sold him out. Judas has helped with his wrongful conviction. Now, Judas comes to that conclusion afterward and he sees Jesus and Jesus is being tried. He knows that he's innocent. He takes the money, he takes it back. Takes it back to the temple and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. You can have it all back. But the work has been done. And he's riddled with this guilt. And he goes and he takes his own life. This is what Jesus means when it's better for him not to have been born. But that is not the case with any other human being who's ever walked the planet. When you think, when you are on that road and journey with Christ, which involves the cross, there is never, ever a point in your life where it is better for you if you had not been born. Can you hear that this morning? Because some of you have thought that at certain times. That is not the case. It is only the case with Judas. He was betrayed because of Judas' greed. The Son of Man is to go, he says. But he would say to you and to me as his followers, as his disciples, that so are we. We are to go. We are to go the way of the cross. Not to try to escape it like Judas does and say, no, it's not worth it. Things aren't turning out the way I had planned. No, finish the race. Move forward. Advance. Jesus says to those who would come to follow him that we must deny who? Ourselves. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, he says, and follow me. Deny yourself. Judas couldn't deny himself. Jesus wasn't worth it to him. Craig Blomberg once wrote that Judas, at this point, when he decides to betray Jesus, is growing more disenchanted with the type of Messiah Jesus is proving to be. See, so many things had happened in Jesus' ministry. There were these high points, there were these low points, there were these, there were these points where you wanted to tweet the stuff that Jesus was doing. Oh, he fed 5,000 today. You should have seen it. He walked on water today. You should have been there. He healed the blind man today. All oh, the power that he has from the Father. He can do all things. I've seen it. Judas has seen all of these things Jesus can do. But he wants all of the things that Jesus is doing to turn out for Judas' good, for his personal advancement. So many people today try to use Jesus that way and say, I'm going to use Jesus. He seems to be working for my brother, for my sister, for my mom, my dad, my daughter, my son. Seems to be working for them. I'm going to try him. I'm going to use him. 
If you're using Jesus, there will come a point where you have to get off the bus. You have to get off the train because he's going to call you to higher things than yourself. He's going to call you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him and to go all the way to the cross. Judas was growing more disenchanted with the type of Messiah Jesus was proving to be. What kind of Messiah is Jesus proving to be in your life? Are you growing more enchanted with who Jesus is or disenchanted? Would you check your heart this morning and just ask that question? I believe the Holy Spirit's probably already impressing it upon you. Where are you with Christ on your path, on your journey to the cross? Jesus is judging certain churches in the book of Revelation. And one of them, the church in Laodicea, or other churches there that he talks about, and he judges some of these churches to say that they, they're trying to ride the fence. They're trying to straddle the fence. They have, they have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And the, the overall judgment of Jesus is that I want to just spew you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. You're like lukewarm. By the way, I take offense to that term. You're lukewarm. He says, you're lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Be hot or cold. Are you becoming disenchanted with the type of Messiah Jesus is proving to be in your life or more enchanted? Are you willing to say to him, unlike Judas, whatever your will is, let it be done? However you want to use me, however you want to use your church, your stuff, it's all yours. Use it for your glory. I'll go with you all the way. Church, we must be clearer as a church in today's society about who Jesus is. We have to be more clear about who Jesus is. See, Judas knew who Jesus was. And he rejected him. He said, no, I'm not going. Jesus was very clear with his disciples about what he was going to do, who he was, his identity with the Father. We have no excuse as a church today to, to be clear about who Jesus is and what he demands. That, there, that this path of Christianity, this journey of the Christian faith is one whose destination and journey is the cross the entire way. It's the cross. It's the way of suffering. The Via Dolorosa. That's the way of Jesus. It is a way of suffering. It's a way of self-sacrifice. I want to read you an old hymn because it has to do with this morning's message. The way of the cross leads home. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. 
I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way, the path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the heights sublime where the soul is at home with God, then I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk in it nevermore. For the Lord says, Come, and I seek my home, where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know, as, as I onward go, that the way of the cross leads home. Let's pray. Father, would you emblazon that into our hearts this morning? To know, Father, that the way of the cross leads us to the Father. For those here this morning, Father, who are disillusioned, who are doubtful, who are weary, who are tired, who are confused, who... who do not see your hand in something that's happening in their life right now. Father, I pray that they would be encouraged that you're sovereign, that you have a plan and that it's perfect and that it's good. And though many times it's painful and many times it's confusing, God, it is perfect. God, give us the wisdom, Father, that your son showed as he broke bread with friends, knowing one of those men were going to betray him, knowing that one of those men would rather have 30 pieces of silver than to have heaven. God, give us the mercy and the grace that you have for us, the patience and the love that you've shown us. Father, help us grow ever closer in our relationship with Christ that we would not be disenchanted with him but be more enchanted with Christ every step of the way as we learn his way the way of the cross and God that we would not be ashamed of it but we would glory in it and embrace it and love it and lose everything for it and Father that the community of this church would be known as people who embrace the cross and who love Jesus. Let it be according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.